Welcome back, everybody, to the Stadium Journey Podcast. Thanks for joining us this evening, or this afternoon, or this morning. I don't know when you're listening. It all works. Our website, stadiumjourney.com, is the world leader in sports travel information with reviews of over 2,500 stadiums from all around the world. They're not all up on our new and improved website, but we're getting on it. We're moving them over daily, several every day, so sooner or later, they'll all be in the new spot. Hope you all are enjoying the new website. I kinda, I'm kind of, i kind of proud of it myself. And we are more than just that awesome website. You can connect with us on our social media channels. Follow us at Stadium Journey. If you're looking for audio versions of this here podcast, they're very easy to find, not just the one you're watching or listening to right now. Pick up your phone, wherever you search for your favorite podcast, type in HIAC Talk Radio Network, wherever you find your favorite podcast, and we'll show up. If you're looking for video versions of the podcast, you can find those all on Stadium Journey's YouTube page. And if you want to be part of our live studio audience, we record every other Tuesday night at 7 Eastern, give or take, at danlaw.tv. So we got the gang all here tonight. It took some doing, but we're all here. Dave Cotney's here. You can follow him online at ProFan9. The Ballpark Hunter Mark Viquez is here. Find him where else? At Ballpark Hunter. The above average comedian, Dan Calachico's here. Follow him at DanLaw83. And I'm Paul Baker. You can follow me at PuckmanRI. Hey, before we start, check out my new grandson. Well, you can't do it. I just I just messed up the home screen. Nice. So I'll do that yeah, later. Yeah, great. Good job there. You had it all set <laughs> up. I, I am good with technology. Yeah. All right. We are happy to be joined tonight by David Rockman. David is the designer of the new Charlotte Knights logo, which he is probably displaying on his hat. So, David, welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for uh, having me here, and thanks for uh, being patient as I delayed you guys a little bit. But, yeah, we're really happy to be here, man. Uh, I've been to be with Mark already once. Um, second time's even better, man. All right, sounds good. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> so, Mark, you want to take it? You and Dave got a relationship going. You can uh, start us off. Yeah, well, David uh, Ruckman is the creator. I think uh, most of us who are listening, he is uh, has his own uh, design studio, and he is uh, most known this offseason for creating the Charlotte Hornets updated logo. W- would you say that's true, or are you known for another logo? Well, over the years, I think it's I, I think it's kind of run the gamut, at least in Charlotte baseball sports. Uh, I worked with the Charlotte Knights for the last ten, 10 years. So a lot of the jerseys on the field they've done for a theme night or a jersey auction, I've done those. Um, I'm responsible for any stupid sub-brand the team has done from the Charlotte Pitmasters all the way through the uh, most recent Charlotte Traffic Cones, which we talked a little bit about the last time you and I got together. But Almost bought um, Yeah, it's um, a lot lot of different brands out there. But yeah, the uh, the Charlotte Knights, uh, brand new CLT blue look. Uh, Yeah, I'm responsible for it. Working closely with the general manager, Rob Egan, and the rest of the Knights team, I think they put out a great look. Yeah, that blue really pops up, and I, it's probably the first time I'm looking at the hat in person. I'm just seeing, you know, some images from, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I love I love the sky blue on black, and I, the gold really gets uh, pushed back as a secondary color. So I think that was a smart move. Uh, Carolina blue and black, awesome colors, so. You That's can't right. go wrong, especially when you're from the Queen City. Yeah, look at Dave that. is modeling the the previous version of the logo right now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Have a look. So if you want to, if you want to compare and contrast, where there you yeah. go. I'm not offended I'm, at all. Just, just hanging out. <laughs> I'm disappointed now because 
<laughs> I was going to ask all these Michael Jordan questions, what it was like working with Michael Jordan, because Mark had him designing the Charlotte Hornets logo. So I was like, oh, did I say Hornets? You did. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, you were nodding your head. I'm like, why is he nodding his head? <laughs> Charlotte oh, Knights. Yes. <laughs> I went right on my phone. I was like, wait. Hornets have a new logo? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That the Knights were the Hornets back in like 1892. Uh, so it still kind of works. I mean, that linear. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they, yeah. Well, did you do any Hornets throwbacks for the Charlotte Knights? I actually did, saving the conversation uh, here. Um, so, back in 2019, uh, the Charlotte Hornets' uh, 50th anniversary of the 1969 championship team uh, was taking place at Truist Field. So, at that time, we had. I believe um, one or two of the last surviving players from that team in the area, at least, and another uh, son and or daughter come to the game. So a small group were on the field being honored. And that night, the Knights wore the Charlotte Hornets jerseys that were worn at that time, plus the uh, Hornets uh, C cap uh, with the navy and the crimson red like they used to wear. So um really really awesome event i actually have one behind me if i move anything right now though in my studio that i had to rig up in 10 yeah. minutes i think things are going to collapse so i'm just okay. going to stay right here but yeah it's back there and i i, I love it it was well, a great we'll, night yeah we'll, we'll look it up so uh I, I i'll let dave take the take it but before he does uh how many how many hats or uniforms do you think you created for the charlotte knights during your time with the team or still do it's a really good question um 10 20 uh i would say i would say closer to 20 at this point if okay. you include all the military pink nights uh the patriotic themes um really any any theme night or short run uniform that the team had done outside of the grandiose design that um debuted in october 2013 which we just uh, rolled over to the new one yes. and short of the original Caballeros, the purple and gold that uh, Vince Petrofezzo with Major League Baseball designed. Everything else, I think, came from me or came from like a kid at Levine Children's Hospital that I then adapted to a jersey. So, yeah, it's it's closer to 20. It's incredible when you put <laughs> when you say it out loud like that, but yeah. Yeah, it's like you're like, wow, 20 hats. And, I, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more in the future, correct? Hoping so, yeah. We've Hoping got, so. Uh, yeah, I uh, team and I are set to debut something in the next, I think the next month and a half. So stay okay. tuned for that. I'll be uh, pushing that as hard as I can as well. They're a great organization. And it's a, yeah. and it's a tasty fit. It's a tasty fit. That's all. That's the only uh, clue I'm going to give you. Tasty fit. Okay. Tasty, okay. Hmm. What can that be? All right, Dave, go for it. <laughs> uh, David, can you walk us through the process? You know, beginning... To where we are today so are you just kind of getting a call out of nowhere or is there like a like a bidding audition kind of thing going on or how does that whole process work that's a great question i i tend to treat it based on the situation so if i'm dealing with an affiliated ball club it's pretty much that i will get contacted either by someone who's knowledgeable of the team or working with the team on some level and i'll be invited to the partake in the bidding process so that would put me against your typicals your brandioses your studio simons uh, and anyone else uh even fuser design um he's he's amazing too but um you, you've got three or four groups who will put a bid on a graphic um 
and brand design project like this, the same way that you would see larger companies put in a bid to help build your ballpark or help redesign your control room or help install a new video board, that kind of thing. So uh, a lot of the big dogs kind of work that way. Uh, I've also had the experience on the other end of the spectrum where uh, it's luckily enough for me, it's by reputation where someone's just called me and said, hey, I saw that you did this. Would you be up for something similar you know, with, with this organization we're trying to have over here? Or I had a former coworker at the Knights running a flag football league uh, and organization for uh, youths in the area. We've got maybe three or four cities within that, that outfit, but I designed their logo because of the shared camaraderie and just working together in years past. So it, it kind of runs both ways, I, I would say, but for the bigger projects, yeah, I'll be bidding against a lot of the same people who inspire me to do what I do today. So, um, but, but from start to finish, I would say the bidding process and actually getting into that first meeting with the client to dive head first into what that team really wants to do. That's probably about three weeks to a month, somewhere in there. And uh, what what are they asking for, uh, like an end product? Are, are they saying, okay, we want a, a new, we want a, a new everything. We want a new logo. We want a new cap logo. We want new uniforms we want the whole nine is that one big package that you're putting together yeah that that's essentially it we have to work within the confines of major league baseball and the deadlines that they have new era cap for example um anything that you want to wear for the 2024 season on a theme night level has to be submitted by the first week in march whereas if you have uniforms and things uh, primary logos, word marks, letter marks, etc., and even the numbers that appear on the jersey, all those things have to go into that package, and Major League Baseball needs that for their style guide productions by June, I think the end of June this year for anything 2024. So we're working within the confines of those um, deadlines, and yeah, it is a package deal where I'm providing a team a primary logo that would be just the champion piece that they use in all their branding, uh, advertising, anything, anytime it appears on television, for example, those huge logos that you see on the LED boards when you're in the ballpark, I do those. But we take those pieces out, so the word mark that appears in your primary appears across the chest on the uniform. And the major piece of a logo, in this case, it's a little unique because there's a C here and there's not a C in the primary, but... Oftentimes, a piece of that logo will appear in some form or fashion on that home cap. So we talk about logos on a cap and having it done by a certain deadline. We're not just talking about a home cap logo. We're talking about, okay, how's it going to look on the road? Do we want to have an alternate in there just to kind of keep things fun, but also relevant to the new look and feel that we're putting out there? Is there a second alternate that can kind of get us further out and kind of flush out this story a little bit further? We don't want the story of the new brand that we hope will last 10, 20, 30 years, however long it is, to be just a short read and then someone just chucks it. We want it to be a deep dive and we want those pages to keep writing and keep growing and keep thickening that book over the course of time. And by doing that, we have to provide a lot of those elements up front. Um, a lot of times I see teams now, uh, in addition to the word marks and the uniforms and the logos, everything from 
just the top to bottom, essentially, even telling them how and what kind of pants they're going to wear. I also developed these style guidelines and the brand guidelines for internal communication, because what's the most important thing I find that, mo that teams need to latch onto right away, if you're going to rebrand, you have to go all the way, not just in the look, but also in the messaging. So everyone in your organization needs to know how things are supposed to look, how things are supposed to read, how things are supposed to be talked about, what kind of angles are you going to talk with your fans? What kind of language do you want to throw into conversations when you're going on TV to talk about the new look or promote an upcoming game? What are some of the catchphrases that you want to use on social media? What sort of graphic styles? You know, it, it can kind of snowball from there, but you get my point. It, it can be all-inclusive or it can be brass tacks, just give us caps, uniform, primary logo, and call it a day. Uh, the Knights were more of the latter in this case because they have a very capable marketing and design team, a lot of talented people in that organization, video department as well. Uh, but some other teams need that full Monty and they want to go from maybe a smaller market concept and a smaller market ideology to something that's larger than life. That's that's exactly why Brandios has been so successful it's because they can help a lot of these smaller teams and a lot of these uh, lesser markets, quote unquote, understand by and large that they can be a notable brand. They can be known outside of their 50, 60, 100,000 uh, populists that they've got around their ballpark. So that's that's essentially what I provide as well. And now I've got the varying degree of video production and social media background and other things that I can offer based on my own expertise and my own experience within minor league baseball dating back to 2006. My gosh, that's a, that's terrible to say out loud too. I'm going to check for grades while I'm on the interview. No, no, I'm with you. <laughs> I, I am with you. And I know when we talk, just like the video capabilities between 06 mm -hmm. and now, uh, I remember 2006 sitting in the press box at Victory Field, and yeah. they did not have Wi-Fi yet. You had to plug in to an intranet. And then one day they're like, oh, yeah, we, we have uh, Wi-Fi. So, yeah, have fun. And, and that was not that long ago doesn't see that long ago but when you do the math it's like wow so uh, i actually amazing. just helped open a new baseball facility for an atlantic league team back in 2021 and without getting too specific on it uh, there was one event where there was a commencement ceremony for a local college uh, certificates and associate degrees and it's a two-year college but i did not detect any internet in that building that morning when we did the commencement ceremony and there was an expectation of a live stream. So uh, my smartphone, thankfully my iPhone was able to handle it. And we, uh, oh, goodness. We, we, we got through that, but 2006, 2021, sometimes things don't change. It's just now we've got more tools to see how creatively we can screw things up. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so you design, you do video marketing. What is a typical day like for you? Like right now, uh, are you working on any new projects or or do you handle, you know, like when you get a project to create a logo, like when you got Charlotte, did you just jump in knee deep with that? Or were you also having to work on other items along with the new branding? That's a good question. With Charlotte, it was a little bit different because I was heading into the holiday season. I think I got that project, or at least we talked about it in earnest by the end of October. So when middle of November came around and we put pen to paper and got a contract signed and executed, that said, okay, we need some, we need the home cap and road cap logos and all those caps done by January 6th or whatever it was. 
Okay. And I, I was planning on going to Chicago to see family. So I had to take uh, time out of my two weeks there to make sure I did that. But I mean, really that month and a half was furious. And thankfully I had nothing else going on outside of uh, local university sports where it's pretty much plug and play for me. I can get on campus, set it up, get the students ready to go and boom, it's just a few hours a day. But uh, on a typical basis though, you, you, it's not the same because you're right to assume there are a lot of other things going on. I think typically if I have a design project, it'll be two or three days a week where I have to carve out, okay, let's take five or six hours just to go through ideation. Let's just sketch a few things and let's see if we can't illustrate a few of these concepts out just to see where we are creatively. Because I, I give them what's called a thumbnail concept. Most teams and they'll at least get a feel around for, hey, we've got, we've talked about ideas. Is this even close to what you're thinking or what directions do you want to take? What do you like? What do you don't like, et cetera. So um, I, I have to carve my weeks out into blocks based on the university events that I do and, and broadcast locally based on the design projects I have. If I have uh, video editing or any Photoshop and design work I need to do in design, Illustrator uh, for other organizations, I have to carve out time for that as well. So um, I, I don't have a calendar I can share on your screen with you, but I've got um, a lot of different colored markers that help <laughs> differentiate what, what's going on because I want to make sure I've got a physical calendar that looks a lot like my Google calendar. Um, just so everywhere I look, there's some reminder that says, hey, you've got five different things to do this week. So it's you have to do it very careful. And it's given me a little bit more comfort to say no a lot of times, which is something I took a while to understand how to do that correctly. You ultimately, you don't want to sell, tell someone no because you want to make money and you want to put your name out there and you want to keep growing your business. But I think I've learned over this last year and a half, especially that saying no sometimes is far healthier for you in the long run than taking that little extra money and depriving yourself of a little uh, less personal time and a little more sleep, that kind of thing. Yeah, so, no, I agree with that. Busy all the time, though, which is a great feeling. Yeah. So can we talk about the the Charlotte design process yeah. specifically for a minute? So... Feel my question, Dave. Yeah. My record stands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many designs would you say hit the cutting room floor both like just on your own you go through a few things and you're like I, I don't like that I'm not sending it on and then how many do you present to like Charlotte and then like obviously they would not pick five logos or whatever they pick one so yeah how much ends up on the cutting room floor kind of in both sort of stages and do they come with come to you with a wish list like we want this this and this in incorporate into the design dang you stole my question <laughs> that was my next one <laughs> i all right two parts in order out of respect then <laughs> so um <laughs> the, the the nice process at least as far as sketches go i would probably any typical design project i'm probably going through two dozen sketches uh, before I get to a concept or two concepts that I really like the most out of them. And this is this is going to dramatically change based on what the client gives me or what the organization or team gives me. So in this case, we were dealing with sort of a blank slate. They knew they wanted to change. They knew they wanted an update, but they weren't quite sure whether they wanted to streamline it 
the only thing they really knew for sure was they didn't want to go too deep on the medieval side. They wanted to keep it kind of contemporary while also still being nice. And I knew that after a while, they wanted to change the color a little bit. So primarily, they wanted to go with the blue. So at least that was the easy part, which we can hold off the color until the end. But um, from the beginning, it became, okay, well, not diving in too deep on the medieval side. I mean, the CLTFC came out uh, a year and a half or two years before this brand um, was, was set to refresh on the night side. So we kind of looked, okay, do we want to do something along the lines of a CLT crown? Do we want to do something along the lines of Third War? Do we want to do something uh, that's more script-related and Old English-related that has a royal feel to it? We looked at a lot of illuminated manuscripts. You would not believe how many days I spent in a library uh, scanning just pages from illuminated manuscripts, uh, type of literature, and um, Old English, and just tracing and learning how to write and learning how to draw all over again, in a sense, before I could digitize those things and make them into illustrated sketches on my computer, quote unquote. So I probably went through this time around, I probably went through anywhere between 35 and 50. I would say it was a good number, just a, just a lot of different ideas. Um, again, without diving too deep on the medieval side, but still taking that aesthetic and keeping it classy, keeping it uh, tied into the night's theme. Um, the feedback I got, and I'm not saying this as an insult whatsoever, and this kind of answers the second question, um, somewhere along the lines of that broad spectrum first analysis of the logo concepts, I had between 45 and 50 and maybe submitted to them six really polished ideas. Um, they came back and said, well, we kind of just want a helmet and a seat. Can you do that? I said, oh. <laughs> Blank, you know? So I... I kind of knew going in just having the bias of knowing the chief operating officer and how he thinks, how the owner thinks, how the general manager thinks. Um, it, I, I made this habit for myself of working so far down the road in three different directions only to have something chase me back to the start <laughs> and then just like, oh, there's there's the right road right there. So um, that, that kind of happens more often than not. And I think part of it is I think they need to see what they don't like before they know what they do like, that that is often the case uh, with uh, clients. When you do a lot of deep dives, or in, at least in this case, if you don't have a lot of time to do it, but you still have to dive into something uh, on their end and then find out what they don't like, um, it just comes out like mad sketches, mad sketches, research, and let's um, condense this, which would normally take me you know, a month or whatever down into... I think I was only able to do a week and a half, something like that. So probably in six or eight days, I was going to the library, coming back, sketching a bunch, you know, digitizing a bunch, scanning it into my computer, tracing it, all this stuff, and just going back and forth all the way until the very end there. So, um, but yeah, the uh, a helmet and a sea, that's what they wanted. And damn, that's what they got, you know? <laughs> the, the blue was the easiest part, believe it or not. We wanted to find a blue that was halfway between the Carolina Panthers and the Charlotte Hornets. They wanted a, a teal, but with more blue hint to it. And this color for New Era is called Blue Jewel. And I've seen it um, I've seen it done up on caps a few times before. This is a double raise uh, or thick raise embroidery on this cap. So it's like it looks even crisper and even fresher than you think just encapsulating around the helmet. I really love how that looks and kind of to Mark's point before we wanted to add the new color of blue while still kind of keeping gold 
somewhere in there, the gold, black and white, and a little bit of silver as well. So it's it was a very fun juggling act just to come back and say, oh, you can use you can juggle balls instead of chainsaws on fire, you know. So that's that's kind of how that went. <laughs> so how much changes there going to be to the ballpark with regards to the new logos? Oof, you um you have no idea how many different touch points are have already been done to their credit and to Truist's credit, uh, their naming rights partner. But uh, essentially, you've got stickers on all the seats. You've got um, banners uh, with the team store. You've got the uh, desk. You've got the podium, which they've already done a lot of that stuff. There are a lot of those physical pieces that have to have been uh, changed over, and they've done a lot of that. I don't know how quickly they'll be able to replace, you know, close to 9,000 stickers for 9,000 seats that are in the bowl there and around that uh, facility. But um, Truist Field has no shortage of the Knights representation. And, um, yeah, it's it's going to take a while. Typically, in a changeover process like this, if you debut in November – you think probably by the middle of that next summer, everything that has the old logo will be switched over. But um, sometimes if you're, if you're willing to spend a lot of money and you've got a lot of resources available and manpower to do it, then um, you can get it done uh, before opening day, uh, first week of April. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a very, very costly endeavor. I mean, I would not, without knowing any proprietary info, I'd say, somewhere between one and two million would be how much they have to invest just to get everything changed over new. Well, you have the easy part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Get those interns on it. Yeah. (laughs) So how do you, how do you feel that the, and I don't know, this is kind of the other side. I don't know if you can answer this, but how do you think the team will be able to judge whether this was a good investment or not? That's a good that's a good question and it's it's unique in this case because I used to be part of that team so I think there's a, still a little bit of detachment that I'm forcing myself to feel from this as opposed to um taking it on and just diving so far <laughs> into it head first like I would as a full-time staff member so um I think if I'm just guesstimating off of that first calendar year when the team debuted their new black, white, gold, and silver brand from Brandios, that was about a million and a half is what they did in merchandise. Of course, you're opening a new ballpark with that. So when you're selling close to 700,000 tickets that year and you're generating revenues that you haven't seen ever in your organization, um, yeah, that's going to be a wild success. So there's a little bit of that separation that has to take place if it were me. Um, being a part of that team because you don't necessarily have to look at numbers. I think, I think for me, if I want to judge it from a successful standpoint, yeah, we're going to have to see some merchandise move. Yeah. I would love to see a lot of uh, fans wearing those hats, especially if they're wearing them at Panthers events or Hornets events, because the colors are kind of similar. Now that presence in the marketplace where the team maybe felt like they weren't seeing enough of that gold home cap, I think that would be a good judge of success for them. So um, ultimately, I think it would be really nice to see the team kind of take to it in a whole new way too, just because we we think about all the time, how many people are going to buy caps, how many people are going to buy shirts and et cetera. But you don't often see the players 
like they did on the night it was unveiled uh, in earnest, uh, three of them coming out in the home road in alternate uniforms. You don't know if they're going to react to it in a, in a more positive way. And in fact, there was a player who suggested that the new blue alternate uniform is a pullover as opposed to the button up, just because it's a lighter fabric and it just it's easier to deal with on the field. So if the players respond to it in, in a positive way, and you know maybe the record goes from fewer more losses to more wins, then hey, you know I, I, that's a, that's another measure of success as well. Ultimately, though, it's However the team looks and however many caps and tchotchke items and trinkets and other things are sold, um, my measure of success has always been how many people are coming out to the ball game and how many fans are leaving with a smile on their face knowing that I entertain their faces off. Because being in the video department and, and dealing with a lot of videos and graphics and promotions and live event activations, it was it was always about fun for me. So uh, ultimately, if a brand doesn't energize you and make you feel like you've got a new lease on life if you're not having fun with it then um you got to reevaluate a little bit so by that measure i hope they're already feeling some level of success even if uh it's a little too early to tell on the numerical side of the financial side yeah because normally i don't think the teams announce how much money they make uh mm. i know there's always a top 25 but they never tell you who's one, who's 25, how much uh, they made. So I guess if you hit that top 25 mark, mm. you know. Just by that, virtue of that uh, marketplace, I think you could hit top 25. I've got, I've had no doubt they'll do that again. Yeah. But it's when you have the uh, local business journals like Charlotte Business Journal and a few of these other ones who uh, like to dive a little bit more into the financial side and the business side of things. Just for a comparison's sake, I think the uh, – Charlotte Business Journal in particular uh, had a few pieces. Eric Spanberg is a good friend of the team, and he's done a lot of great articles in the past about the Knights uh, transitioning into a 24-7, 365 event space now with the uh, Light the Nights Festival they do outside of the baseball season. Uh, just cataloging everything from the start of the groundbreaking back in 2012 all the way to now he's been there pretty much all the way so i have no doubt that he'll be checking in again at the mm -hmm. end of the season to, to ask the team that very same question but minor league baseball i mean i i understand from their perspective if you want to keep it to you're the 25 best-selling teams of course you can kind of guess who's going to be among those 25 mm -hmm. just based on the number of fans they bring to their ballpark but it's always nice to see a few of those teams in there who are coming from smaller communities but have big brands and big ambitions breaking into that mold so it's um it, it's it's still a little ambiguous but that it's a very small group of ambiguity and you gotta you gotta celebrate and appreciate them all for it yeah i know i know exactly i live in indianapolis uh the indians do quite well i don't think they've changed that word mark uh since the mid 90s nope. and yep. even though i've suggested that they should maybe go back to their past but they're doing a great job. They attract, I think Charlotte and Indy are always like number number one and two in uh, in attendance. So that also helps when people are coming out to the ballpark, uh, you know, from the community, walking into that giant gift shop, <laughs> which is just full of not only your new hat, but the traffic cone hat and throwback hats and pink hats and and it's just it's you can spend several days there i think i've spent a couple hours and within two days inside that uh that gift shop it's it's quite it's it's quite the thing 
quite the thing to see. It's one of the better ones I've seen in AAA baseball. Yeah, I would tell you, I've been in Andy Dampus a couple of times. I've seen almost everything at this point. I mean, two or three trips in, but every time I go to a new AAA ballpark, new to me anyways, I'm wowed by something, whether it's Durham, Indianapolis, El Paso, Columbus, um, Nashville. I've, I've seen so many organizations do things with ballparks that are old and looks that are old. I, I use that with huge quotation marks, right? But everyone brings the same thing to the table. They bring character, passion, life, zest, fun. Um, yes. As long as you're putting your best foot forward, um, and all of those teams do, um, you're going to have success no matter where you go, no matter how you look, quite frankly. And taking care of your ballpark is the same thing like taking care of your brand. You have to be diligent with it. And you have to keep uh, adding some polish, adding a new coat of paint to it every once in a while if you need to. And really taking the effort to make sure that that lasts longer than is expected to. Some of these ballparks at this point now, especially on the AAA level, you're talking about 30, 40, 50 years in some cases where the average lifespan of a ballpark now is what, 25 or 30? Something <laughs> there. Seems like that. It, so it's, <laughs> I, I love, I love the geezers, man. If I, if I can go to more of those ballparks, I mean, my goal is to go to all AAA and AA by the end of next year. I'm nice. starting to work through the plan right now, but if I can, if I can get there and just examine the character of it, one of my favorite reads is Ben Hill from Ben's Biz Blog. And MILB.com. It's it's that level of interaction with each team and that level of experience that I want to achieve. But that they all have something great to offer. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I've been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, we've had Ben on here, and uh, we yeah. we might need to get him back on. I kind of it's been a couple of years. Yeah, a lot of changes. Yeah, a lot of changes. That was I think that was before yes. the, the the big the you know reducing it by 40, 42 teams. So yeah, yeah, love that guy. Uh, as a designer, what brand, what team would you love to get a shot at? <laughs> Maybe not, not, let's not talk about the financials because, you know, you'll make bank on it, but yeah, what, what brand would you just love to take a crack at, uh, artistically? Wow. Um, <laughs> I have I stumped them. I've done I've done this uh, stretch of podcasts now, and I'm thinking like, okay, yeah, I can kind of I can kind of detect what questions will come, but mm, that that's really good. Um, <laughs> I would say there Those are softballs on this one, buddy. Yeah, yeah. this is <laughs> a Fox News MSNBC. Yeah, that's a big gotcha moment for me right here. Um, there, there are three that come to mind right now just because of their history and because of the, the look I've always assigned to them. Number one is the Albuquerque Isotopes. Um, they've had um, they've had such a history there. And, and you've got obvious ties to the um, Simpsons and a lot of other things. So I don't know if any of you have been to – You should, hopefully you've been to the ballpark, but it's – it's one of those things where the character already defines itself and you don't necessarily have to fix something that isn't broken by any means, but just to give it a little bit of different look and appeal to it, keep it Albuquerque isotopes. I mean, I'm a whole hundred percent on board with that, but just something to update it and something to give it a little more zip similar to, um, 
I wouldn't say similar to the Akron Arrows, but it was around no. that same time where you saw that intermediate phase where they became a new version of the Akron Arrows, and there was a little more zip to their logo before ultimately becoming the Rubber Ducks. And yeah. then uh, even for a while having the bathtub over top uh, look like they had. So that that was always one. Um, Kane County Cougars is another one that comes to mind for me. I'm uh, I'm Oklahoma, oh, yeah. Illinois is my hometown, and I I grew up around the area. So uh, in, in addition to them, the uh, Schaumburg Boomers and the Windy, Windy Sea Thunderbolt and all those folks, um, a, a lot of folks in that league, I've been to those ballparks pretty much before I was at major league ballparks or minor league ballparks. And a lot of those teams um, just going through, just going through all of them in my head right now. I mean, yeah, I'd love to take a crack at all of them. The Joliet slammers, they've got a jailbird as their uh, logo and it's a, it's a great look, great theme, but you know, just let me take a crack at it. You know, let's see what happens here. Um, you, You could always, I could always be a total homer and say um, I'd love to do something with the Chicago Cubs and get a crack at that too. But again, if it's not broken, then why would you want to fix it? You know, Um, certainly my mindset is I I take on every project like I've always wanted to do it because I'm doing exactly what I've always wanted to do. You know, I, I talked about this at great length with Mark in a different conversation, but the, I've been drawing my entire life. I grew up drawing baseball cards, drawing hats and uniforms and that kind of stuff. I fell into video just by college and with my first internship with the Peoria Chiefs, who were at the time a Cubs affiliate. Um, I fell in love with Harry Carey at a very young age, and my parents kept me up for that first night game in 88. I mean, baseball and drawing and art and video have all kind of been part of my life the entire way so just 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 having them coalesce and then sometimes collide and sometimes just run parallel with each other from time to time has been just a dream you know so a- any team i think would be a dream come true for me but a- at least for now we'll stick with those yeah stick stick with the knights yeah i'm with you with the windy city thunderbolts uh mm-hmm. They they can use a new look of rebrand, mm-hmm. and uh, I I gotta tell you uh, I get that's the closest ballpark to my uh, mother in law's house. That's a great time. It's just a fun little funky ballpark, and oh yeah, they it, it's different than some other independent teams. I know we're off topic, but since you brought up the the Windy City Thunderbolts, what? it's like we go on a tangent. Yeah, no, it's like half works. a stadium. They have great beer specials, but you're right. They they have a nice interlocking logo with the WC, mm-hmm. but like a main logo, yeah, there's so many cool things you can do with a Thunderbolt, like personify it or give it a zip. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll I'll talk to some people, see if we can get you guys talking. All right, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. I think that's – Finder's fee. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk, but we'll talk. I, I think that that's a lot of what these smaller market teams and these independent leagues – uh, don't often realize is they do have access to designers um, who have done affiliated ball. And I, I think a lot of times when you're dealing with uh, budgetary constraints, a lot of them can, you know, defer to the drawing side of things and, and just that really old school, let me just draw this out and we'll, we'll turn this into the logo. Uh, one of my favorites out there right now along those lines is the Madison Mallards. Um, you talk about just a beautiful classic, style of brand 
with albeit with a slightly modern like retro font or vintage font but they, they just do an outstanding job from top to bottom with that look and i you, you can't you can't fault them for that um do you wear your wampus cats that just came out yep. um, the other day i'm sure i butchered their city name and they're going to crush me for it and i just no no it's the, uh or uh, or i just had a podcast with them Aurari. last night Orari, yeah okay so I, I was, I was, yes I was I was close, but still terrible. Let's go. I'm just making sure. But yeah, <laughs> no, no. I'm sorry. It's you, Ari. You, Ari. You, Ari. You, Ari. I'm gonna get skewered big. Yeah, time. Greg. Greg Sullivan, the uh, president co-owner, uh, okay. who also is part owner, who founded the Disco Turkeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- another yeah. great example, right? Yeah, there. another great, another another cool logo. I yeah, I didn't ask him who created that logo. To be honest with you, but. That's the colors. Thing. Yeah, he said I wanted to go with some unique colors of brown and orange and yellow. So Yeah, I, I think it came out great. Yeah. It has that like Tom and Jerry like logo. Mm-hmm. It reminds you of something Hanna Barbera would have created or or maybe something you would have seen in the newspaper that the sports editor might have drew uh back <laughs> in the day. Uh it has it, a like Heathcliff or a Top Cat vibe to it too. Top yeah. Cat, yeah. Yeah. It it's definitely a little bit different. Mm. than like maybe something i would see uh you know when the affiliates are independent but like i said north carolina including the knights i mean you guys not only did you you have a bunch of ballparks and teams you're still getting more there's like oh there's a ballpark down the street that hasn't been used we're gonna play there put a team yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's, i mean yeah. that that in the uh, the queen city corn dogs that's another team that popped up and yeah. the mooresville spinners i mean it's just ridiculous all the teams in the north in uh the Charlotte area alone. I mean you can you can spend a week going to different games. So it's yeah, I bet you didn't know about the Piedmont Porcupines until uh the or yeah, Porcupines until they came out with their new logo recently. Yeah. And they also incorporated Sky Blue in the baseball bat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's, nice. all, it's great. Now now here here's a question that I have. What happens if I'm a small team and I want to I want to update my luck are small teams afraid of the price tag? Because I I've heard that something like the Savannah Banana logo was probably like ten grand to create. You know what? What's the average price? Without you know telling me your financial terms, but like what's what's the market rate? You know, if I'm a small team in the in the prospect league, or you know one of these teams in the south, the, the coastal plain league, let's say. Or in yeah. the Futures League, perhaps? The Futures League that is probably poaching. I, I work for a team in the Futures League, David. That's why I brought that up. <laughs> or the And our logo, we just basically stole our logo from the old Chicago White Sox. I work for the Brock and Rocks. So the hat they're wearing now, mm-hmm. they had a nice logo that I really liked. But what they wore last year was the old Chicago look from the 80s. It just says rocks across it. Change the S into an R, and that's what they went with. Mark's really asking about the 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 kickball league. Yeah. What he's really no. is, he, is, is will you hook him up with a no, kickball no. logo for free? No, I'm just curious. No, no, no. I already have a logo. Of course, that could be refreshed. But I uh, know <laughs> I was just saying that there is a team in the New York Collegiate League that poached the lacrosse loggers logo. They took the same logo. No, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And they added a chainsaw instead of a bat. So I'm sure the folks in lacrosse are like, wait a minute. That's our logo. I'm kind of curious what's going to happen. Are they cease and desist? Is it? Remember when the Hershey Bears did that to the Utah Grizzlies? They stole their logo. 
That was back what? in the nine. That was back in the nineties. Oh, okay. or it was just they updated it, but very, it, they just looked yeah. very similar. Here's yeah. here's the interesting part about that and about copywriting and trademarking and from from league to league, you can you can have a trademark for a team and your particular look in your state or you can have it on a national level mm. and it depends on what you think your merchandise reach is going to be and what okay. your audience reach is going to be and that kind of thing and, and i'm not going to tell you what i think other teams have done because that's not my place to do but at the same time like the loggers for example there there's my gut tells me they found something on shutterstock or istock.com mm. they spoke to the artist and they said hey we, we there's another team that kind of has this look can you do this for me with it and then that price for that logo turns into a little bit something different and you basically have a workaround fiber kind of uh, effect to it so you've got some elements that are the exact same which let's just call what it is They're, it's the exact same but the general look of the primary logo is different the font's a little bit different you've yes. got uh the chainsaw like you said as opposed to a yeah bat. the, the orange in there yeah instead of a brown beard it's an orange burnt orange beard yeah actually i mean those are things i'm just curious about Can so if you or, tweak enough stuff it's now oh now it's different yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you it depends again on how and where you trademark it and what level you have ultimately if if it goes through that review period at least for stuff I've helped with the, the copywriting and trademarking process, there's a before it even gets posted, there's maybe a two or three month period just to make sure your application's right. Then you got to go through another six to eight months just to make sure that uh, USPTO and the, any attorneys that are involved in the process can just scrape as many different references and marks and looks as they can just to make sure that your look and what your mark is is different enough or individual enough where you're not infringing on someone else's abilities and then if they file for goods and services in a particular subset here and you actually want to file over there it's just i'm getting a headache just talking about uh, it uh, so uh, i'm just gonna leave it there but wow. the, um, at least from my perspective if it is different enough i think it'll go through and it seems like they're from different regions of the country so they're not really competing against each other. It's a okay. funny coincidence, but um, that's at least where I stand on it. But to, to answer your question, though, about is there – am I priced out for – like pricing out a lot of these smaller leagues or smaller outfits or city leagues or anything like that? My answer is typically no. And the reason is what we talked about from the very beginning, and I think I answered a question from our uh, – um, comedian buddy you were asking about uh, what all is involved in the package do you do the logos the uniforms branding everything like what's all involved with it that that is at the crux of what a smaller team package would look like as opposed to like an affiliated ball or major league or minor league team uh, package would look like it depends on how far they want to go do you want to have a logo and a uniform set done and then you take care of the rest because you know your t-shirt vendors you know where you get things cheap you can make cups or whatever for your concession stands cheap maybe you don't even have branded cups and you just need the look to ha have a certain look and feel to it the color set i mean i i can scale down as much as necessary depending on what the team's needs are and based on budgeting, I can then rationalize in my head, all right, I'm only going to need X number of hours to do these two or three things, as opposed to the research stage is probably out. 
And then this stage where we're going through a lot of different uh, color explorations is probably out. And the on-site visits are probably out. You know, there, there are other stages of that process that we just scrap and say, okay, let's just give you meat and potatoes. Here's your logos. Here are your uniforms. Here are your colors. You can handle the rest because you've been doing it on your own for, you know, three, four person front office, whatever it's, whatever it ends up being. And then that's it. So I, um, I typically charge per hour and I just give an hourly or at least an, a number of hours that I will estimate in my head based on those areas that I want to knock out for you. But it's never, um, it's never not flexible. So if we have to take something out of the process before we put pen to paper on that final contract, that's fine. If we have to go back uh, somewhere down the road and we're 75% of the way done, then we, re we realize, oh, crap, we actually need this a month earlier. Can you do that? Yes. And, and the reason is um, the same that I would have for any client. I always want to over deliver and I'm for uh, repeat business. I don't think rebranding and I don't think uh, designing uniforms for a brand new team or a brand new ballpark or whatever is a lot of repeat business inherently. But at the same time, those are the same teams who will come back to me a year later and say, hey, you know what? We could use a branded cap shuffle with this new logo. Can you animate something for us? Yeah, I can. I can do that for you. Hey, can um, we want to start a kids club? Can you do give us a cartoony looking mascot to go along with this brand? Because we didn't do that the first time, but now we want to add a mascot. Yeah, we'll do that for you, and we'll have you know whatever price attached to that. And I think it goes back to one of my original points, where if you're going to rebrand, you want to be all in with it. I don't think there's a similar timeline that everyone's going to follow. You're going to find things now a year from now five years from now whatever that timeline is you know that that's when you need it and i hope i can be around with a good relationship with you that, as an organization or a team to make that happen for you that that's more important to me just being there for the organization that put their faith and trust into me and then the fact that i can make their next brand look great i just that that's me paying them back for them paying me, that sounds mm -hmm. doesn't sound weird at all, does it? But that's essentially how this relationship works. I, I had no idea how deep like a redesign would go to all the, all the touch points you're talking about, David, about every little piece of the stadium, and then the uh, yeah, the, the just the overall look and how it can uh, be a deeper dive than just oh, we have a new hat. It's, it's it's just incredible. It's a side of this I've never even considered, and I'm hoping a lot of our listeners, yeah, are learning for the first time too. Yeah, and and I learn a lot because you and I already talked, and I feel like we're having a whole new conversation about <laughs> the same subject. So, some good questions from Dave uh, Contney today. So, that's um, uh, David. We talked. You talked a lot. We've talked a lot about um, the Charlotte Knights redesign. Is there any other stuff that you've worked on that? people may be familiar with her um a lot of it is with the knights or if it's local um i could run through different things at least on the charlotte knight side um if you're familiar with uh food and, and fun food themed identities the charlotte pit masters came out in 2017 uh i did that for the organization um that was just on a whim uh, and it's without getting into that huge conversation here but um, 
2018 when the team debuted the uh, CLT, the 83 White Sox-inspired brand they wear on the field. Uh, I did that for the team because it was helping us celebrate our uh, 20th season as a Chicago White Sox affiliate. That has now been a, uh, adopted as the second official alternate logo for the Knights. So okay. uh, they'll be wearing that with more regularity from now on, which gives them a lot more access to merchandise uh, in a quicker fashion as well and some uh, new set of licensees that they want to do more merchandise stuff for the team store. So it's exciting. It's exciting. But I had no idea, by the way, how much a CLT hat for the Knights would take off probably just as well, if not better at, at one point than the original gold C logo. I, and you threw me for a loop. If you would have told me that in 2014, oh. as opposed to hey, 2018, you're going to be pushing a lot more of this stuff. Are you cool with that? Like, no, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's been exciting. Um, 2019 uh, after, as I mentioned before, Vince Petroveso did the Copa de la Diversión, the Caballeros, uh, purple and gold. Uh, the team asked me to help them design the new uh, green and gold uh, base brand around the horse, bringing back a lot of uh, some of that symbolism that, that was used in Fort Mill, South Carolina, while adding some layers to it. So I did that. Um, the Queen City, uh, City Connect jerseys that the team put out there in 2017, I did those as well. Um, 2019, the Charlotte Traffic Cones, I uh, adapted the brand for Kids Day from a Jersey designed by the Levine Children's Hospital. That's a lot of the neon rainbow colored uh, striped uniform that you might have seen that year. Um, I Beyond that, uh, there are just things I can't necessarily talk about yet in affiliate uh -oh. law and some other things that are coming up. But Stay tuned. Uh, yeah, mom's <laughs> the word there. But, uh, you, you know, beyond... Um, Beyond the Knights, the team's photographer, Laura Wolf, uh, she does outstanding work. I helped design her new watermark and her new uh, uh, primary logo for her website and other things. Um, doing that for a couple of friends as well has been kind of nice. Uh, I helped design uh, the Flag Football League uh, logo, as I mentioned earlier, which is uh, expanding group beyond North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia now. Um it's it's kind of all over the place and it's hard to <laughs> list them off the top of my head but okay. if you're at least familiar with stuff that you've likely complained about on facebook or made fun of that was probably me so <laughs> all right uh let's see i've got a couple of questions as we're running starting to run out of time here um sure. what are some of the stuff that you've seen that really gets you excited and like favorite overall concepts or logos or something like that Wow, I I absolutely love um, any brand identity that has um, just a local, it doesn't have to be a delicacy, but just something that's well-known in that area and, and that just creates a visual you might never have expected beforehand. I, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, to, to better explain by example, uh, the Tulsa Drillers, for whom I worked back in 2010 to 2012, um, they're really my first full-time job in, in professional baseball, or really ever. Um, I love those guys. But the a few years ago, they teamed up with Brandios and created the Tulsa Noodlers. And uh, to kind of talk about the noodling um, aspect of catfishing and all this kind of stuff, a big catfish market out there. And the concept of a huge catfish with someone's feet sticking out of the mouth just made me laugh so hard. And having the 
uh, the noodlers uh, baseball stylish fonts along with it the neon green with that really deep blue I, I was just in love with that brand from the start you know nice. um I love that kind of stuff. I love the uh, Fresno tacos. That was part of what inspired me to um, look at different food ideas for the nights. Plus my one season as a marketing director with the Montgomery Biscuits. Um, another team I love. It's it's that kind of stuff I really love to see teams do. Uh, it's just taking campy and quirky and fun kind of nonsense, but then turning it into a really, really polished product and saying, this is great. The um, Bowling Green Hot Rods, for example, they, they've got a different hot rod look that they're going to do every year, every couple of years, I feel like. But just the just the polish that they've added to their brand by featuring a different hot rod with that stylish art is just it's incredible. Uh, Fresno's Lowriders is another great example when they did uh, Copa once or twice. I think they might still do Lowriders. In fact, they just changed the vehicle on the caps and the color scheme, which is Another way they've excelled too, but it, it's it's those brands and those fun little ideas that you don't know are going to create a bug in someone's ear, but then it turns to a much bigger idea that turns to a, a new line of uh, merchandise and marketing this year. That just it's a one night deal that becomes multiple nights that becomes a phenomenon, and now you're making it a staple promotion for your team because um, it really it goes beyond a cap, right? As we've said before, it, it goes into the on-field product that goes into what you're experiencing on the concourse. It goes into what the uh, community is experiencing when they're eating the food and uh, beverage and they're coming out to the ballpark, maybe for the first or one of the only few times that year. It's that that's, that's the rebrand kind of stuff that really makes, uh, really makes me kick. And uh, if you want to talk about a project by and large, or at least an initiative, Copa has really done that for me. Um, just inspiring me to, think about things in a whole new way and then talking about not building a logo or designing a brand for the intent to sell like we're so used to, but designing a brand for the intent of enriching your community and connecting with an audience uh, not to who's not there to buy tickets from you, but who's underserved in, in a lot of ways and, and, any opportunity that we have to shed a spotlight on on parts of our community that can use a little more help, a little more TLC, that fresh cone of paint, like we're talking about with ballparks and logos. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff I really love. So anytime uh, El Paso uh, Mariachis and a lot of these other ones can come out, it's bring it on. I love it all. Yeah, it's been great to see that COPA initiative really take off what started with just a few teams now that and yeah. now involves almost everybody. Yeah, like you said, it'd be awesome to see that. So, I mean, you see it once in a while, like with, uh, say, an autism night or a pride night. I'd like to see some more of that stuff, too. All right. Yeah. So, one, one last question, David. Since you are on the Stadium Journey podcast and you've expressed your, your love of ballparks and stuff, let us know some of your favorites that you've, that you've been to, that you've experienced. The... Um... <laughs> The, the homer pick in me is always going to say Wrigley Field because I have a lot of uh, attachments to it. Um, if you talk about it objectively as a facility, it's, um, yeah. So <laughs> but I, I love Wrigley Field all the same. It's one of my favorites. Um, I've been to Camden Yards and Fenway Park, and I don't have a single negative thing to say about either facility. 
I would get angrier about the fans uh, sometimes if I'm going there with a White Sox uniform on or Cubs uniform before I would say anything about their ballpark. Just gorgeous facilities. And you can see when you step into a building and you feel that history right away and you just get the goosebumps that you often would get as a kid when you're just a fan of your favorite team, that's the feeling those places give me, all three of them. So those three are my favorites on the major league side. Minor leagues, I mean – you can't be truest field, honestly. I've I, I watched that building get constructed. I helped build that initial control room, at least what I was able to control in it, um, with no pun intended. But um, there, there's something that always keeps drawing me back there, whether it's that new bar that they're going to put in, which I may spend a little too much time in after games this this summer. But if it's that, or if it's the beautiful clubhouse, or if it's the, the skyline view that's just breathtaking from the third base side, there's nothing like it. Um, it it's just, there's something new, I think, to enjoy there. Um, I loved going to El Paso Chihuahuas and seeing their ballpark as well. Um, seeing all the art that that's on display throughout downtown El Paso around that facility is beautiful and just from a community standpoint and that downtown building up around that ballpark to the ballpark itself being gorgeous. That's it's awesome. So th those are just some off the top of my head. I mean, I could talk all day about Columbus and Louisville and Durham too. Uh, and Indianapolis, like we said before, it's just, they're all beautiful, but um, those, those are definitely my favorites. Well, you're in the right place to talk about ballparks all day. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess so. David, were you with the uh, with the Knights when they were down in South Carolina? Did you go through the whole transition down to to uh, was it the Uptown neighborhood, right? Yeah, I was there for two months. My first project there was in October, mid October, twenty thirteen. I had to basically take an entire almost blank slate and say, okay, but let's build a 30 minute program with videos and graphics and uh, animations that don't exist yet. And let's unveil the new logo set. It's like, Oh, okay. Do you uh, have a video archive that I can use from past? Like, we'll figure something out. I'm like, so no, no. Okay. Um, but that was my first two weeks on the job. And from oh, wow. there, it was just, I was shuttling back and forth between the, Knights Castle in Fort Mill to um, what we affectionately call the Cow Building. It's a Packard place in Uptown Charlotte. It's just white with black spots and ridiculous. But um, they splitting my time between both of those until ultimately in December uh, we got a uh, we were getting closer to a temporary certificate of occupancy uh, in January. So we had to move everything uptown into a temporary storage facility slash office that we shared with Rogers Builders and Martin Mallow. Uh, who helped construct the building for us and um that was that was my life uh with the knights for the first really four or five months that that certificate of occupancy didn't come in full until late march and i had you know 48 hours to create an event to unveil the uniforms uh to the community via media softball game and then from there we had two weeks to get it ready for the season so um yeah, it all flew by, but only two months in Fort Mill, which I'm That's kind it. of about because I'm pretty sure it's haunted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What a, what a, an upgrade the Knights had moving from uh, from Fort Mill up to downtown. Yeah, it is night, uh, and, night and day. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's it, it is. Oh, I get it, Mark. 
almost <laughs> it, it's almost irreplaceable in a sense how much Knights Castle has meant to the community in Fort Mill and how much it's meant to the history of the team, knowing that really 88 is when uh, the Knights uh, came to be after the Charlotte O's, um, you know, change had taken place. So um, at least in their infancy, Knights Castle was the only thing that Knights fans really knew. So in a lot of ways, if you're not in the Fort Mill, South Carolina, if you're not in the nucleus, and if you're certainly not willing to drive down I-77 from Charlotte about 35, 40 minutes or whatever it is in rush hour traffic to go to Fort Mill for Thursday, Thursday and back, I mean, you, you probably have never experienced a Knights game until the team moved uptown. I think it was April 11th, 2014 was their first home game that year. So um yeah, it, it was a very, very short time. Um, I I got, I wish I had the opportunity to watch a game there or two, but it just didn't work out that way. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I, I don't know if I look back on that with the same emotional fervor that my other colleagues would have, the few of them who were left on that front office staff from Fort Mill. But um, yeah, Truce Field is what I know, and that's that's what I love. Yeah. All right. So, um, Mark, are you all set? Do you have anything else? To yeah, add? I'm all set. Uh, all right. One of the best views in baseball. So, oh, no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. Brett, especially at night. I don't know. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. All right. Well, so, um, David, before we let you go, we want to, first of all, we want to thank you for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Um, we want to give you a chance to shout out, um, your social media presence, your website, anything you would like our listeners to know. Maybe somebody's out there listening. I would like to, contact you for a future project we'll give you give you the floor for a minute or two all right i'm actually going to try to be brief this time um first of all thank you all for having me on this has been great and thanks for putting up with me to try to get video together when i asked is this a video podcast uh yeah idiot it is a video podcast so thank you for that um if you want to simply connect for a conversation it's ruckmancreative at gmail.com just shoot me an email and just shoot the breeze with me. I'll do it anytime, anyplace, anywhere, 24 seven. That's just how I am. That's how I work. And that's how I want to live my life. So uh, do that. Uh, you can go to davidruckmancreative.com and check out a lot of my favorite projects and my uh, feeble attempt at website design, even though I do offer something similar to teams who are in quick need. Um, that, that portfolio site is there for you to check out. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at David Ruckman Creative. You can find me on Twitter at Ruckman Creative, at least for now. I hate Twitter. Uh, <laughs> you can find me uh, on LinkedIn as well. Just look up David C. Ruckman. Um, it's a pretty easy find from there. Um, I wore the same suit in all my photos. It's like the only suit I own. It's not far from the truth, but um, feel free to uh, contact me anywhere. And if you're if you're a team or an organization outside of sports and you're looking for branding on a lot of different levels, even if it means not changing your look, but just changing how you look about your look, how you feel about things, um, I'm always up for a conversation, big or small. I, I never want any team or any outfit to feel like I'm too big for them. It's always the other way around. I'm I'm always willing to go out there and prove myself to everyone that I can get a little better each and every time. And I'll give you the absolute best bang for your buck that I can. I mean, that's, that this is what I love to do. And I'm, I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure that you love what I create for you. That's how I work. So thanks again, guys. This has been awesome.
this was a lot of fun. Thanks again for joining us. All right, so uh, we're just going to take a minute and close out. Dan, you here? Yes. All right, we're, we're, uh, we're signing off. Here, where can our listeners follow your adventures? Oh, DanLaw83, all social media platforms. Easy peasy. DanLaw.tv for the live podcast. Mark, where can our listeners follow you? You got any uh, stadium journeys planned in the next couple of weeks before we get together again? Yes, I'll be at the uh, new and improved Holman Center in Terre Haute, Indiana. Check out some Indiana State basketball. Uh, seems like I've been doing just college basketball lately, but I am seeing some awesome fan experiences. So tis the season. Tis the season. I don't know if I'm going to get that at, at Indiana State, but the Sycamores are 16-9 and nine as I record this episode, so who knows? Who knows? So, yeah, Indiana State is on my list, and uh, IUPUI basketball. And then it's a regional and sectional tournament coming up uh, in a few weeks for high school basketball. So uh, looking to see what what's uh, what's going on, because I, I definitely would like to see some really energetic uh, cheer blocks and, and fandom. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be about basketball for a little while. Uh, but check me out on Twitter and Instagram and on YouTube at guess what? Ballpark Hunter. Eighteen hundred subscribers. Subscribe to the channel. Help me out. Help me get 2,000. Can we call you B-Ball Hunter for a couple of weeks or so? B-Ball Hunter will be excellent. Yeah, because I'll, I'll go to these basketball games, Ballpark Hunter, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. You're in the wrong place, buddy. You're in the wrong place, buddy. Yeah, but I was at a ballpark this this past weekend in early February. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, true to my name. Uh, some of those inter-squad games are going on. And today in Indianapolis, it was like 45 degrees. So very nice day for a baseball game. So, I had yeah. a chance Saturday to go to a lacrosse game. And I don't know if you are, you all are aware, it was the coldest day in, in years up here oh, in yeah. New England. Sounds it like was fun. 10 degrees below. So I didn't go to a lacrosse game. Sounds like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I want to be outside in minus 10. Oof. I, I, it was so cold that I didn't even stop at the drive-thru on my way home after a game on Friday night. I just went straight home and yeah. made myself a bowl of cereal. Dave, you got any stadium journeys planned on the uh, for the next fortnight? And where can our listeners follow your adventures? Uh, I do. We're wrapping up the season basketball and hockey for the OUA. So this week, uh, we've got some Laurier Golden Hawks. I'm not sure if it's going to be two hockey games or hockey game and a basketball game. We'll see how kind of that plays out. Uh, This Sunday, Barry Colts are going to host the Kitchener Rangers. So that's kind of my home away from home in the OHL. So I'm going to head up to Barry, stay over at the cottage in Wasaga. And then we got the long weekend coming up the weekend after that. Now this one I'm looking forward to. If everything works out perfect, I got Youngstown state penguins. I got Akron zips. And I got Cleveland State Vikings, uh, three basketball games, two days, and they're all like spitting yeah. distance from each other. So nice. I, I'm I'm hoping that all works out. Just need Akron to make sure they schedule it as a night game and yeah. we're good to go. Uh, but you can follow all that stuff on Profan9 at Twitter and on Instagram. All right. And uh, for me, a lot, it's a busy PA season here for all my different gigs as as like you guys all said, uh, basketball and hockey is starting to wrap up. I have one stadium journey planned. I'm visiting the UMass Lowell Riverhawks up at one of my favorite rinks, the Songus Arena in Lowell. But aside from that, 
I've get, got uh, hockey and basketball. We got senior nights coming up at UMass Dartmouth. Um, we got, I think I got the last hockey game at Brown and a couple of P Bruins games thrown in there for good measure. And the Boston Pride are continuing their season. They're still in first place. Will it be a three-peat? Who knows? Uh, you can follow all my travels at Puckman RI. And remember, you can find all of our stadium reviews, news items, and other feature stories on our website, stadiumjourney.com. Connect with us on our social media channels at Stadium Journey. The podcast, the podcast with all its momentum, and well into our sixth season. If you're looking for an audio version, you listen, want to listen to the podcast on your way to work, type in HIAC Talk Radio Network, wherever you look for your favorite podcast. If you want to sit down and watch the podcast, you can find us on our on Stadium Journey's YouTube page and be part of our live studio audience every other Tuesday night, 7 Eastern or so, at danlaw.tv. We will all be back. Hopefully, we'll all be back. I may have a conference tournament game or two to do. But in two weeks, we'll be joined by our old friend, Tim Capper. We're going to talk about the latest incarnation of the AFL. It's back. That that was their press release. Two words. We're back. Yeah. Michael Jordan likes it. Yeah. As (laughs) always, thanks, everyone, for your support. Thanks to David for joining us tonight. Great conversation. Taking us behind the curtain. So for Dan, Mark, and Dave, this is Paul wishing you all safe stadium journeys and close games on the road. Hope to see you out there real soon.